1: We are live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson in London. Alex Steele over in New York. Feels like it should be Friday. It's not Friday. It is Thursday. Um, There's been a fair amount going on today. I don't know if you've heard. Liz Truss has resigned after 44 days. um, Beaten by a lettuce. We have got lots to talk about, Alex, over the next hour.
0: Yeah, it it has moved fast and furiously over the last 48 hours. It's truly been fascinating um, to watch the disintegration of the government over there. Fascinating?
1: Yes, that's exactly Mm -hmm. how I would describe it.
0: And and I think think that Jeremy Hunt obviously sort of staying firm in his position is helpful, but it does feel like how the next sort of leg plays out will be very interesting for the Labour Party, for the Tory party. And I don't know, man, it seems like either way, any way you swing it, it's going to be really bad over there.
1: I think probably that is ultimately what happens. It is going to get very bad over here. Uh, The economic backdrop is not good. The markets do seem to be, though, reserving judgment on what comes next. I can't quite figure out ultimately how this process is going to unfold uh, to select the new leader. Apparently, they are going to involve the grassroots. Uh, I struggle to see how mechanically that's going to happen. Uh, But today we have seen the pound rising. The cable rate, one we We've seen gilt yields coming lower. As I say, the market thus far reserving judgment. We'll dig more. We'll dig into this story a little bit more in just a moment. Um, but before we do that, let's get some headlines. Here's Charlie Pellett.
3: I thank you very much, Guy Johnson. The big story today, Liz Truss quitting as UK Prime Minister after a brief and chaotic tenure that saw her announce a massive package of tax cuts before unwinding most of it in the face of a market rout. Truss said she was resigning after just 44 days in office and is set to become the shortest ruling Prime Minister in British history. The ruling Conservative Party aims to choose her successor by October 28th, and she will stay on as Premier until then. Economists say UK inflation could soar to 15% or more early next year unless the government sets out further measures to protect households from a jump in energy bills. Chancellor of the Exchequer Jeremy Hunt's decision this week to subsidize household fuel bills only until April will expose consumers and businesses to the full force of rising natural gas and electricity prices. And speaking of inflation, a full English fry-up is now 20% more expensive than a year ago. In a stark example of just how rampant food price inflation is chipping away at household budgets, just a day after Britain's inflation level hit double digits once more, once more, the latest Bloomberg Breakfast Index, yes, we do calculate that, shows how every ingredient is now much more costly than a year ago. Crunching data from the Office for National Statistics, the index tracks the price of some of the key ingredients in an English breakfast. Sausages, bacon, eggs, bread, butter, tomatoes, mushrooms, milk, tea, and coffee. Sad to say, however, Guy and Alex, baked beans are apparently not a part of that index. Surprising. It Ah, is surprising. surprising. Shocking.
1: Charlie, I have to say, you've now made me feel quite hungry. Yeah, and... and I could
3: eat that and, right and I, Me too. Baked beans <laughs> on toast. I'm proud to tell you, when I was in the UK a couple of weeks ago, seven out of seven breakfasts involved baked beans on toast or some combination it. there. It is awesome. It. Quintessentially you know, British. Baked kids. Baked beans love on
0: toast, sure. But for breakfast, I, don't, I don't, Every I don't day
3: without a doubt. Also tomatoes in there as well and mushrooms. You must have been a fun person to share that very small cabin <laughs> on that barge. <laughs>
0: <there>. <laughs> on that very, very, very small, thin boat.
3: On that note, Guy Johnson.
0: He's like the first time he wants to be like, I'm out of here, (laughs) Guy. I'm out
3: of
1: here. We don't want to progress this conversation (laughs) any further. Charlie, thank you very much indeed. Charlie will be back in 30 minutes to update us on the news. Um, Let's talk about what has happened here in the UK today. So 44 days from Liz Truss taking over to her resignation. Here are some of the, let's call them highlights.
4: I have a bold plan to grow the economy through tax cuts and reform. It was becoming a distraction, so that's why we immediately changed that policy, and that's the kind of government we are. We will keep an iron grip on the nation's finances. Mr. Speaker, I think the last thing we need is a general election. We need to act now to reassure the markets of our fiscal discipline. I have therefore decided to keep the increase in corporation tax that was planned by the previous government. I am a fighter and not a quitter. I recognise, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party.
1: 44 days uh, and much volatility. Liz Truss, the outgoing Prime Minister. It was an interesting ride. The markets have had their judgments. The British public have not. Ultimately, is that the direction we need to be going in? Let's talk more about what comes next. Who could ultimately replace Liz Truss? Does it matter who replaces Liz Truss at this point in time? We're joined by Ellen Milligan, a UK politics reporter, and alongside me here in the studio, Bloomberg Opinions, Marcus Ashworth. Ellen, let me start with you. The dust beginning to settle. Now what?
2: Well, it was just extraordinary listening to that package and how quickly um, Liz Truss's government collapsed. Um, the irony of all this is that after she sacked her Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, and the more moderate Jeremy Hunt, who wrote back on a lot of the tax-cutting pledges that she'd made and kind of restored a, a, a degree of calm on the financial markets, she was actually starting to make headway with her party. She had a couple of um, okay meetings with her backbenchers. As I say, markets were calmer. And then all of a sudden, yesterday, she sacked her home secretary, Stella Braverman. And then we had this disastrous vote on fracking, of all things. Um, The government actually won, but led to allegations of bullying. And Mm -hmm. she just handled it so clumsily. What's next? I mean, we've quickly turned to a leadership race. What is extraordinary is that former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who was himself ousted as Prime Minister just just earlier in the summer, um, is apparently cutting his holiday in the Caribbean short um to return and potentially make a bid in the in this leadership race. We're expecting Penny Morden and Rishi Sunak, who also um uh were candidates in the last leadership race against trust to put their hats in the ring. Yeah. I've been talking to lots of MPs and advisors here in government today, and they want the big beast to kind of battle it out. They don't want too many people throwing their hats in the rings, and they want this to be a quick and easy race.
0: Ellen, what does that actually look like? Like, How many members have to support one person to get on the ballot? What's the process going to be?
2: We're going to find out the rules of this race in about 20 minutes, and there will be announcements. An announcement made what we're expecting is this to last one week really speedy race um there's talk that the threshold of mp support will be about 100 mps rishi sunak and penny morden met that threshold in the last leadership race it's uncertain whether boris johnson given he was ousted by his own party um last time would reach that threshold um, and that would get them on the ballot and then Final two candidates will be reached, and then it will go to the membership to decide in, as I say, about a week.
1: Marcus, your thoughts on who will get down to the final two?
5: Um, There is a chance that it will be um, just Rishi on its own in the context that uh, if it comes down to Rishi versus Mordant, whether Penny just, Penny Mordant decides to, uh, is advised to step down uh, for a foreign secretary role, Uh, Hunt. Probably either way stays a chancer, which is probably more key for markets at the moment. Of course, just as I was writing a column which was out uh, recently, uh, just just a lot of, about an hour ago, uh, I just about to say, it's go and um, Boris pops up. Mm-hmm. Um, bring back Boris, I think is the new strap line, uh, which upends everything. Uh, BBB. I, uh, BBB. So- I don't think that he probably will win against in, out of the Tory MPs. If it goes to the uh, membership, though... That's a really tricky one, um, uh, but I think he still has a you know very considerable support amongst the members.
0: So if let's just do the if game for just a moment, um, Boris Johnson gets back in. What happens to the Gill market, Marcus?
5: Ha! Um, it won't like it very much, I don't think. I mean, you have to said that you know Boris obviously was had Rishi Sunak as his chance, and, and and therefore didn't go crazy, but that was more because Sunak didn't let him. Um, so I, I would say the gilt market wouldn't like it very much, um, but it depends if he kept Hunter's chancellor. Would that would that alter things overly? I, I'm not so sure politics is as important as it perhaps was with regards to the uh, gilt market and indeed sterling valuations uh, if, we, as I said, there is a, there is Hunter in, in number 11, which I think both on a Sunak and on a mordant would be the case, whether Boris would keep him, who knows? But I mean, I think he would be very wise if he were to win it to keep Hunt there. So, yeah. in that sense, I don't think necessarily very brave call this, but I don't think as much chaos as we once had.
1: Ellen, do you think the the parliamentary party is really prepared to give the grassroots the final say again after it went so disastrously wrong?
2: I think I think they have to, right? Um, it's in in the party rules. It. I think it would be a mistake for the party to not honour what their membership wants, right? Um, I think but what happens if if they mistake? were to go
1: to, if they were to come down, I, could the Parliamentary Party come down to a single candidate, as, as Marcus is suggesting? We've seen some precedent for this before. Basically, the Parliamentary Party goes, here is the candidate, you could go yeah, for it. And
2: that, that could happen, and Graham Brady actually said that. Um, Earlier today, this is what happened with Theresa May. It would only happen if, um, if say, only one candidate meets whatever threshold of MP support that um, yep. that the party decides in the rules, or if there's two candidates and they do a deal and someone backs off. In, in for example, what happened with Theresa May and um, Andrea Ledson stepped down, um, and then it wouldn't go to the membership. But, but going back to what Mark said, I actually think Jeremy Hunt can really hold the power on this. I, mm-hmm. I think. Um, given the calm that he's he's kind of installed on market yep. since he's come in last week, and given the fact that, that we've got this OBR forecast, we've got this fiscal statement coming just days after this new Prime Minister is meant to be in place, I think Sunak and I think Morden will be jostling for him, his support. So and he will decide...
1: Marcus, you agree with that? Do you think, yeah, Hunt, think. Jeremy will decide this?
5: Yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's uh, Rishi versus Penny, then yeah, I think absolutely. And that's why I said I think... Probably what happens is, as was I'm sure Alan, uh, you know, knows very well, it was the big rumour about, about oh god, two three days ago, aeons ago, that it would be Rishi for PM, uh, Hunt stays as Chancellor, well done, and foreign. Penny goes to, mm-hmm. to Foreign Secretary. That would be the logical thing until Boris arrived.
0: Yeah. Well, I actually should point out, according to the BBC, and this backs up what Ellen was saying, too, the 1922 uh, committee chair uh, will be making a statement in the next 30 minutes. So, again, we'll have a a much clearer idea uh, of how that rolls out in the next 30 minutes. Um, Ellen, before we let you go, uh, what is the best play in the Labour Party right now? So
2: the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats are both calling for an immediate general election. Um, that would be great for them if it happens because they're um, leading in the polls by a long, long way. Um, uh, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, it's a death wish for the Conservative Party to put it to the public vote um, right now. And they don't have to either. Um, that that would involve some parliamentary process and, and, a, and a vote on it. Um, but, but they... I mean, they, they did a blinder yesterday by calling this opposition day fracking vote which just ended in absolute turmoil um, they they if it wasn't for that this trust wouldn't have resigned today um, so they played played it their cards really well the Labour party here um, I think what they'll be hoping for is someone who um, is' an an electoral force I mean there's talk you know there's the thinking is that Boris Johnson secured that historical majority um, in 2019, he's a powerful um, electoral force, but he's tainted, right? Is Rishi yep. Sunak really going to persuade the public to get behind him? And Penny Morden's relatively unknown, although she is quite popular in the grassroots. So I don't know what candidate they would prefer right now, but they're definitely in a strong position with this nation.
1: Ellen mm. we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for updating us on what is happening. We really appreciate it. Uh, Bluebird UK politics reporter Ellen Milligan joining us from Westminster. Marcus, does the Conservative Party, can the Conservative Party, in two and a half years, stabilise the ship?
5: Yeah, it's not quite even two and a half years, and I doubt they'll want a January election anyway, uh, as in 2025. But, I mean, I just don't think Labour wants this yet. I and mean, this is the irony. Uh, they have to be seen that they want it. But the last thing anyone would want is that actually hand out this, this, this political... And economic and financial mess that the the country's in, mm-hmm. um, and that is why I think it's the Labour Party's got to be quite careful. They don't push it too hard. Let the Conservative Party keep on making the mistakes, uh, and just walk into number ten in, in two years' time, when hopefully a lot of the hard decisions have been made, yeah. and they have a chance of actually doing something that will be noticeable to to, to keep hold of power. This right. is why the the Tory Party doesn't want to give it away now, because they know that they do that. You know, that, of course, that they will be. Uh, out for quite a long while. Like I mean if you're generation. gonna
0: see a party implode themselves, like why not let them keep imploding themselves at the end of the day. Exactly. Um Therese Raphael is joining us as well from Bloomberg Opinion. Uh Therese, well, this has been a fun twenty four hours. Um what is your best take uh on what happens next for the UK government
6: I I mean clearly they would like to have a quick transition and I think you know since they've just had a leadership race, we can at least say that the candidates have been vetted, well vetted, and you know that should auger for kind of trying to get things done quickly. The last thing they want to do is have you know a horse race with uh, various candidates, you know, refusing to give way to each other. So um, I think you know, the best scenario is that they that they can coalesce around a consensus candidate, probably um someone like penny mordant i think rishi sunak is very much you know a leading Possibility, but he, you know, the problem for him is that Boris Johnson supporters are still very skeptical of Sunak, and you know, I think you know, he, he, there are also some some other concerns. You know, his 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 wealth worked, uh, I think, against him in terms of the broader yep. public, maybe some Tory voters, and you know, his wife being a non-dom. I, I think Sunak comes with a little bit of baggage, um, and the, and and that's going to sort of weigh on Tories as they try to, yeah. Uh, you know get behind a
1: consensus candidate I, I will let Marcus step in here he, he disagrees
5: I've, I've got a have got a chance of a bet here therese I think this could be a bottle of wine on this one I want to go around so can
1: I just can I just say at the moment he's betting me a pint of beer or a few pints of beer that, that nah. the Conservative Party win the next general election That's so just, a I want to put that into context
6: I, I want to take the other side of that bet
5: <laughs> yeah thank you for that guys
6: <laughs> it's An expensive Marcus is bar bill that one yeah uh,
5: I think Penny's got a uh, different type of baggage, uh, but not dissimilar to Liz Truss. I don't think she will fly uh, when put in, in, in the top spot. I don't think she's got yeah. the the skill sets, the ability, the longevity of, of, of being a minister. And I think, you know, the, the woke aspect, which is uh, probably the only thing I think possibly the Conservative Party have got as a, as a weapon against Labour, yeah. is, is a weakness for her. So that's what I think... Yeah. It'd yeah, I don't disagree
6: Ritchie. with you on, on Penny. I just think that Rishi is not a shoe in as we might think, given that he yep. literally predicted the way this government would collapse.
5: That leaves Boris. But, but, okay. <laughs> okay.
6: But,
0: but this raises the question that gu- the guy was posing uh, during the show as well. Like, does it really matter who's in 10 Downing Street, because you still have Jeremy Hunt there? Uh, Therese, wh- Therese, what's your call on that? I mean, if we have Jeremy Hunt, in essence, running the show, does it matter who gets the top spot for, like, two years
6: well, I think, you know, it, it. the markets may be calmed by Jeremy Hunt and the Bank of England's interventions, and that's one side of stability, but there are some huge decisions that need to be made for the country to, you know, run smoothly. We have, you know, let let's just tick them off, right? We have 7 million people on a National Health Service wait list. We have ambulance wait times that are, you know, really, um, uh, you know, completely a- a- appalling. We have all sorts of spending commitments from 3% of GDP for defense, yep. which is a pretty substantial increase. Um, we have public sector strikes, uh perhaps teed up and wage and and public sector wage negotiations coming up. So there are a lot of decisions facing the next government. That means a lot of opportunities for things to sort of, um, you know, to to go wrong. Um, I think, you know, stability, which is the watchword of the of the moment um, can be achieved Regardless of who they put in number 10, if you, as you say, you have, you know, Hunt in charge of the books and and the Bank of England and these other institutions sort of there. But your stability is a pretty low bar for a G7 country. That's yeah, be nice, though.
1: I I agree it's a low bar, but but we've managed to get under it by by in some significant style. Therese Boris Johnson stability don't really go in the same sentence.
6: No, I mean, it says a lot, right, (laughs) that he's been away while all this is happening. You know, he's earning fat speaking fees in the U.S. He's been on holiday in the Caribbean. I mean, lots and lots of things happening in Parliament. There are a lot of... uh, periods in the in the year in which parliament is in recess where a sitting np could actually go away and not be missed and this isn't one of them and yet boris johnson's not there and i think that tells you a lot maybe about his priorities at the moment but um (laughs) you know he's 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 yeah he's he's not blown things up during his time in the office the way the way Liz Truss has. Well, he and was more he like a, a slow record-
0: rolling ball, snowball, yeah. versus like a huge one being chucked at you. I think that yeah. that is maybe an apt description. Could talk about the, the economy for a second, Marcus? Um, no matter what happens, will the UK ever be able to avoid a recession or get inflation uh, down to a more manageable level in I've the just, near term?
5: I'm just reading on, uh, on someone sent me a message saying, only two more prime ministers till Christmas, which uh. brings me on to the economy. <laughs> Uh, you know, will Christmas be, you know, what will happen? And, and uh, I, I think um, my colleague, Andrew Felstead is agreeing with this. I think Christmas should be fine. The economy actually isn't that bad. Uh, I think, um, you know, perhaps a, a, a very austerity-heavy Jeremy Hunt in, in number two, uh, number 11 will mean that, you know, we are almost certainly to get a recession. Uh, I think there's two reasons why a recession is, is the cure of both inflation and therefore the Bank of England's gonna be keep on pushing it, and equally the reduction of this risk premium built into UK assets. The only way out of both those things, i.e., the stability route equals recession. So it will be a relatively mild one unless, you know, things get out on start to snowball and, and, and get on top of themselves. So, you know, I think UK assets are cheap. I think uh, equities of a very good value, sterling's pretty good value, guilt clearly have recovered, but there is a, a long way to go. Uh, and I just don't see there's any major catalyst um, on the economy or indeed to, to buy Sterling just yet, yep. but we, we can hope for it.
1: Hunt has ruled himself out.
5: Yes, smart man. Really?
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Oh, well, I think... It, <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. one was asked, would uh, one accept? It's a pull from the plough. Um, I, I think he's, he's ruled it out sufficiently enough, uh, and likewise, Wallace as well is the other potential candidate, the Defence Secretary... That you you know you got to take these people seriously. The last two, uh, if they can't if they can't find a find a way
1: forward, and, and I hear what you're both saying about Mordent and, and Sunak, but there is disagreement and there is tension and there is potential. And there always for... will be.
5: And I think you have to understand that that's. I don't think Hunt, having only got 18 MPs, uh, and it's just, that was the second time. But the facts uh, have changed. Yeah, but I don't think. Ch- I personally think that it will be between yeah. uh, Morden and Sunak if it goes to all the way I think probably it would be risky because they'll more your
1: thoughts on that
6: yeah I think Hunt is, is, has made a judgement that the markets would be very unsettled if he threw his hat in now and they, you right. know, maybe could you see a Hunt as Prime Minister and a Sunak as Chancellor but why would Sunak take that you know having yep. you know so I, I, I think Hunt stays um, he, he sort of indicated he had you know personal reasons for you know he just was happy where he is. Um, And Ben Wallace, you know, again, could he be, could the defense secretary be a compromise candidate? He's popular with the public. But I think people don't know that much about him. But he's also said that he, you know, he has an important job to do uh, in in supporting Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's one policy the the Conservatives have gotten right from the beginning. Boris Johnson got right. It would feel, um, you know, it, it, do you really want to sort of mess with what's working there? So I think not. You know, can't rule them out, but I, I would say that we're still looking at the same field of candidates we saw before I think Suela Braverman would be very interested in the job as her resignation letter made pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um and you know what would her sort of you know what, what would it take for her to to kind of step aside and, and back someone else, given that she's coming from the right of the party and and, and is so, you know, obviously angry yeah. at the way trust had to uh, abandoned her agenda.
0: So we're about like 20 minutes roughly away uh, from uh, the announcement of sort of how we're going to go about doing Ten, this. 1922 it's, about, committee. It's,
1: it's happening in 10 minutes.
0: Oh, 10 minutes. Okay. Yep. My timing was off. Um, so apparently we're hearing more details though. Uh, the Sun reporting that there's a maximum of three candidates that will go to the vote uh, of MPs and uh, they're announcing a hundred person threshold uh, for nominations. So it feels like they're just trying to condense the process so we don't get like 17 different kind of candidates. Yep. This, is, this feels like what we were already expecting, right?
6: Yeah, exactly. They don't want to go through a multi-round process. Again, all these candidates, you know, they've done the debates, they've been vetted, you know, MPs have voted. As Guy says, the facts have changed quite a lot in the last six weeks, but these are pretty much known quantities, both to MPs, of course, but also to party members. And I think the real question is, does this go to the membership? Because it changes a lot if it does. The membership, you know, as we discussed a lot this summer, has a particular you know, it's a particular demographic and complexion. I mean, may, you know, maybe the membership is chastened by having gotten it so wrong with Liz Truss, but um, I, I'm not sure MPs really want to test that out right now.
1: Does anybody think, does anybody think, Marcus, do you think that, that the next prime minister can really do anything? I, just, just Just to come back to this point. If we go to if we go to the party, they don't like supply side reforms. They don't like planning. They don't like um, kind of changes to their lives in a major way. They're not particularly vested in the growth narrative. Mm. Do you think do you think that that there is They're not invested in the
5: growth narrative?
1: Well, what, uh, they're largely elderly, largely pensioners. What, why what, what difference does growth make to their lives?
5: I, I would I would choose to disagree with that guy. But I mean, the point here is that what regardless of whether you're you know a, a liz trust style pro growth yeah uh which clearly was a popular thing which won the majority of the of the members or indeed a jeremy hunt style rishi sunak sort of con, you know much more controlling and i'm going sticking with financial stability but now is not the right time i think that debate has been won in the context of that rishi sunak has proved prescient this was not the right way or right time to go about a change therefore that the only chance the Conservative Party, I may I win, may win that pint against you in two years' time, is if the things have stabilised. I say, look, stick with us because, yes, we had a bad time, but, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the pandemic, stick with the Conservative Party because we are able to. And we'll promise you X, Y, and Z once, you know, we, you give us another mandate and, you know, as I said, beat the stick of, 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 of wokeness and things like that.
0: What's the easiest whatever? thing there is to fix right now? Could it be the mortgage market, the housing market?
5: no uh I think the only no. thing they can fix is is just financial <laughs> stability and and that's about all they can do <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean,
6: sure so? yeah I was thinking you know just just to, to guy's point I mean what kind of party is it? it's it's a cakeist party this is this term that yeah. we you know used all the time before it is a party that wants it all they they want stability and they want growth they want you know mortgage rates to come down and more house building but not in their backyard and so it's, it's a party that has been promised a lot of things and never had to really make choices. And I think that the challenge of the next government is yeah. how do you level with people um, after 12 years in power? How do you say that that's you know, the, there that's are trade
1: offs? 12 years in power is the problem. And 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 this is taking a step back from this and looking to where we came in and where we're coming out kind of currently. The, the the Tories came in with a fairly deep bench of talent. They came in with people who um, had ideas and, and really wanted to get them done. Theresa, we at the point where the bench is so empty of talent that that really that the, the the best thing for the Conservative Party would have would be to have a time in opposition. I it, it appears to me that that we're having this whole kind of conversation yeah. about kind of I mean, who's trust, ultimately going to replace replace yeah. trust, but. But none of the options look particularly good at this point.
6: Yeah. I mean, there is talent in the party, but, like, you know, turkeys are never going to vote for Christmas. You're never yeah, going to have the MPs actually yeah. go and, and, and you know, say we, we really need, a, you know, five years to kind of figure things out. But you're right. There's been a hollowing out of a, of, you know, big parts of the party through the Brexit process. Um, argue, you know, some would argue that was necessary to get to the point that Boris Johnson got to in 2019, where he was able to, you know, re almost reset the party, rebuild the Conservative coalition. But what now of that coalition? Because trust tried to drag it right on economic policy, whereas the the center of public opinion is more to the left on economics and more to the right on on social values. Um, and it's you know, it's it's not clear that. There is, you know, as as you say, there's an, there are enough, kind of, sort of talent and experience and sort of energy, level, you know, within the party yeah. to populate a government to excite voters. So mm-hmm. I mean, there. Are, it's it's still a big party and it's a big tent party but they haven't you know found a way to get these different factions sort of talking and working together um in a way that's going to be compelling and i think they've lost a lot of those voters that came in 2019 and how do you get them back i mean how do you you know how does marcus win his bet they have to somehow (laughs) you know not only find the personalities that appeal to those people the policies Two years is a long time in politics, I started out saying, but you know, it, it's also a short time. Yeah, I mean,
0: three weeks feels like a long time uh in politics. Tres, before we let you go, we know you gotta go in like 30 seconds. Um you're you're if we were to find a Unity candidate, who'd be the best one?
6: Oh,
1: and therein lies, the problem. And, there lies, yeah. there lies <laughs> the problem. and there lies the Therein lies the problem.
6: Because you, you, know, you have to you, you basically then have to assume that the, these very, you know, the, these these sort of warring or, you know, different wings of the party are going to come together in the interest of unity yeah. and, you know, and support. And so, for example, over Northern Ireland, you know, are you going to get a candidate where 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 does a unity candidate stand on the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, which, you know, effectively blows up parts of the yep. um you know agreement with the eu where does a unity candidate stand um on you know a whole range of issues so i i think it's hard i think someone like rishi probably you know has he has the skill set to do it in terms of being able to take on the hard subjects and argue it through i don't know that about penny mordant we haven't seen enough of her we know that sunak has you know intellectually he, he, he's got what it takes, but whether that wing of the party that supported trust yep. will give him a chance, I think that, I mean, look, they're, they're looking at unemployment, mass unemployment in the Tory party if they don't figure that out. Um, so I guess I'd put my, I, I guess I'd say Sudak has got the best shot in terms of just sheer intellectual sort of ability. But, um, you know, we, we also have to factor in what the Tory leaning media, you know, we look at the Daily Telegraph and the Mail that they were savage towards Sunak during the, uh, yeah. uh, during the the leadership contest. Will they now be willing to give him another chance? I mean, it's obviously big parts of the public don't read those papers, but they do reach a lot of people.
5: I'm glad you agreed with me, Therese. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does sound like we're heading for some sort of. I maybe, uh,
1: yeah, I can't believe you did that. Um, the uh, the uh, the coalition government possibility with it. We need a coalition government basically within the Conservative Party. Teresa, I know you've got to go. Thank you so much indeed uh, for your thoughts and analysis on what is happening here. Teresa Raphael uh, from Bloomberg Opinion. Uh, we are expecting. Um, that we are going to be hearing from Graham Brady Mm -hmm. very, very shortly. My producer just said something in my ear. I'm not entirely sure uh, what it was. So Brady's talking. Let's go to him.
7: ...necessary during the course of Monday. uh, And when we reach two final candidates, we will also conduct an indicative ballot uh, so that it is clear what the ballot's of preference within the parliamentary party is. And I'm now going to hand over to the party chairman to talk about the uh, member's statements uh, Good afternoon. The board of the Conservative party met at 4 o'clock today and in conjunction with the 1922 committee we have decided that if the party should decide to put forward two candidates there will be an expedited binding online vote of Conservative party members to choose its next leader. All stages of the leadership election will be concluded by no later than Friday the 28th of October. Before the vote of members is concluded, CCHQ will be working with media outlets to ensure that we can have one broadcast event so members can hear from the final two candidates. So Graham and I are ready to take a few questions. If you can indicate uh, which one of us you'd like to answer, it would be quite helpful, wouldn't it, Sir Graham? We're we'll still with that for a bit. Shate Berry, you're the Conservative Party Chair. This you have
4: to agree in terms of a governing party is a terrible state of affairs. The public will be looking at you thinking, can these guys, can these men and women govern?
1: What's your message to the public? And ideally, would you like just one unity candidate
7: to come through? Beth, it's up to the Members of Parliament uh, who will be standing about whether we have one or two candidates. My job as Conservative Party Chairman is to ensure that if there are two candidates, in a rapid way, acting in the national interest, our membership can make their views known. So,
3: Graham? Mr. Boy, your
4: message to the public.
7: My message is that we will we have acted quickly. We will continue to act quickly to ensure that this country has the stability it requires. Yes.
4: Um, kind of to both of you, really. Are you stitching up the rules here to keep Boris Johnson off the? ballot and would you be quite happy with one person going forward and no membership stage?
7: We fixed a high threshold uh, but a threshold that should be achievable by any serious candidate who has a realistic prospect of going through. Uh, a threshold of 100 uh, members of Parliament nominating a candidate uh, obviously allows for uh, three candidates potentially to come forward. Uh, we clearly have no uh, say or no knowledge of who those candidates will be at the spot.
4: And are you are, um, are you happy for it to be one person and not go to the members?
6: Well,
7: that is a matter for Sir Graham and the 1922 committee in the process they are running. In terms of our membership, we want to ensure that if uh, there are two candidates that come forward, the members will have their final say. Yes. Uh, without going into the security measures we will take, for reasons I'm sure we understand, we are satisfied that the online voting system will be secure. All efforts will be made, including uh, outreach to members for whom we don't have an email address, or members who are unable to vote online. There, there, there will be hustings on, on Monday, once the information is Mr very is party the closed behind closed? closed. Mr.
1: Barry, Use the if conditional so much in that statement as to whether or not it is one or two candidates or three candidates who go forward on Monday. Does this mean if there is one candidate who meets this
7: threshold on Monday, Monday is the day the nation gets its new prime minister? I think that's a question. You have to say well, the, the answer is yeah. yeah, that's the case. Right, one, one more question. As party chair. Would you like to take the opportunity to urge the candidates not to drop out if they make the final or two to make sure that the members of your party aren't disenfranchised? Um, that is a matter for the process that Sir Graham is running. Um, if there are two candidates, we will ensure that every member has the opportunity to vote. Thank so if you. If there is only one, there won't be a vote. If there is only one candidate, there will be no confirmatory vote of Conservative Party members. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very Thank much. you.
8: Thank you. Thank you.
1: talking about what is happening in terms of the process that is likely to unfold to so Graham Brady. Uh, ultimately, looks like he's going to be in charge of, of what is happening here, understandably. Um, the, the process looks like something like this. There is a very high threshold. Basically, Tory nominations to close at 2 p.m. on Monday. There is a 100 um, MP nomination threshold. Um, we will then have... Uh, Uh, the, The process unfolding, which will ultimately result in two, there will then be an indicative vote, which I think is kind of a crucial sort of moment in time, which is why everybody's asking about whether or not we're going to go to one candidate. And then in theory, those two will then go to the to the grassroots. But I would say that it's indicative votes may cause one of those two candidates to drop out, which is why ultimately everybody's asking about one candidate uh, going to to the to the grassroots. Marcus, you've been listening to that as well. Is that your read of the situation too?
5: Yeah, this is very clearly done to keep uh, Boris Johnson off the list, hmm. um, and uh, I think therefore almost certainly my my suspicion it will be Rishi is, is I'm even more more certain that's going to be the case now. Um, there'll be a lot of pressure on Penny Mordaunt. To back away if she doesn't get clearly. I mean, if it's if they're very close and it's you know 120 versus 125, obviously they'll go for it. But if it's clearly that uh, Rishi has a, a significant uh, majority, I think she'll back away um, with a prize of foreign secretary, um, and yeah. and Hunt will stay in in uh, in number eleven. But equally, I think the point here is, is you know made earlier: if Hunt has some sway in this, if he says he's not going to. Uh, you know, be the chance to either, for instance, Penny or, or indeed Rishi, that that might sway things. But there, there's a big conclave, like a papal conclave, there this weekend. I, I doubt it will get to Monday before we know what's going on. So I, I would expect on Monday we will have, uh, as I said, probably Rishi Sunak announced as prime minister.
0: I was gonna say though, doing it Monday, like having it by Monday, that feels really fast for you guys.
5: Well, I that mean, would be something. It's like a cat with a hairball, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they spat, <laughs> be spat out Liz Truss. Out she goes. You know, next one. Thanks for one. that one. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> nice image.
0: Excellent. I'm going with that forever. Marcus, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Uh, Marcus Ashworth, sticking with us. We appreciate your time for the last 40 minutes. Thank you so much. Go have your drink at the pub. You very well deserve it. Uh, more coming up. you're listening to The Cable, this is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele of New York. Guy Johnson's over in London. So. We're going to take a little break from U.K. politics for a moment and talk about earnings. Over the last 20 minutes, we also got L'Oreal numbers coming out, like-for-like sales in the third quarter up over 9%. On the other hand, Adidas cutting its full-year outlook uh, on an FX-neutral revenue basis uh, and their gross margins. So, you're seeing some that survive, some that have pressure. It's a really confusing time. So, Guy and I caught up earlier with Mike Wilson, a chief U.S. equity strategist, and I appreciate it's the U.S., but I think either way, we talk about whether or not traders are just exhausted with the market anywhere you look at it, whether it's the U.K., whether it's the U.S. equity market, whether it's European earnings. Here's what he had to say.
9: Uh, I think everybody's exhausted, <laughs> that, that's for sure. I mean, the markets uh, have a way of doing that to all of us. Even in bull markets, I think people get exhausted. But but this has been a particularly uh, trying year because nothing has worked, right? Not bonds or stocks. And even commodities peaked back in, in April. So it's just been a it's been a real, you know, pooper of a year, as we say, and uh, <laughs> people are tired. They just, they wanted to get it over with. Let's just get it done well, okay, and move okay, on. Mike, to next year. That's uh, the so point. So, look, I, I, think, all... I think the market. I agree with what Jeff is saying. I think that, that yields, you know, have pretty much priced the Fed at this point. Doesn't mean they're going straight down, but you know, the, the risk that in the market for the equity market is on the growth side, right? We've been on that that case for the last uh, three or four months, and we still hold that view. However you know markets don't trade in a straight line and so we're you know we're getting a bit of a rally here we think they can last for a month or two because we're not sure the earnings are going to come down uh, fast enough to convince the market uh, how bad 23 is going to be in the earnings front.
1: Okay, let's just talk about the timeline around this in a little bit more detail. Mike, you're absolutely right. Everybody just wants this to be over. They want the bottom to be in, they want capitulation. I think everybody's got used to very truncated and short timeframes. I remember, I remember you speaking at the beginning of, of, of this whole episode, talking about the fact that you thought that this was going to be an accelerated cycle. Where are we in the cycle? Because the market's kind of mood and maybe where the economic reality do seem to be in different places at the moment.
9: Well, that's right. I mean, we call this the hotter but shorter cycle. uh, And, you know, everything since the, you know, COVID lockdown has progressed at an accelerated pace like we haven't seen really in any of our careers. So uh, as we've been saying, the kind of final chapter to this bear market probably will be fast as well. You know, if we had this conversation three months ago, and we probably did, I, I, I thought we could have this all wrapped up by Thanksgiving and and maybe have a nice uh, ending to the the holiday period and say, okay, we can move forward. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I think it may you know linger into next year. But either way, that's a pretty darn fast cycle when you think about the economic cycle. This time started in May of 2020, and you know we're not even three years into it, and we're already talking about recession. So it's, it's all happening kind of the plan. Uh, markets always you know don't trade exactly in line with that. But we think we're, we're on path now to have the finishing move, which is going to be all about the earnings disappointment, Yikes. which is going to. Be-
0: when is that reckoning, Mike, of earnings disappointment? I thought it was second quarter. I thought it was third quarter earnings. Is it going to be the fourth quarter? Is it next year?
9: Well, we never thought it would be all done by the second quarter, but we thought there was a chance it could be done by the end of this earnings season. We're losing a little bit of hope in that or faith in that because uh, we're just not seeing the willingness of companies yet to throw in the towel. You know, it's interesting, Alex, uh, you know, markets, whether it's the bond market or whether it's the stock market, has become somewhat addicted to... Guidance, okay, for the bond market, it's the Fed, mm. and for equity markets, it's company management teams. And so the bond market is just waiting for the, you know, the Fed to come out and say we're done, uh, and the bond market won't get in front of that, even though everybody knows they're probably closer to the end than the beginning. It's the same thing for stocks. I mean, every investor we talk to knows the earnings are too high for next year, but yet the earnings remain very sticky on the upside because companies haven't thrown in the towel. So. It, you know, it's, gonna, it's a process that it always takes longer than it should. Uh, we think it definitely will be done by the end of first quarter. the fourth quarter earnings season, which is, you know, basically February. But it could be done as, as soon as November, December. We just have to see how this earnings season goes.
0: All right, that was Mike Wilson, U.S. Chief Equity Strategist over at Morgan Stanley. And speaking of, uh, you have an S&P rally that really is fizzling out here. You had Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker uh, saying that officials are likely to raise rates well above 4% this year and then hold them at restrictive levels to combat inflation while leaving the door open to do more if needed, hence the forward guidance. You want the forward guidance, you're addicted to the forward guidance, but you really don't like the forward guidance. Um, anyway, so that's where the the macro setup for the Fed. So let's get back to earnings more specifically. In the next segment, we're going to talk to the CFO of American Airlines, doing pretty well despite rising costs. This is Bloomberg. <laughs>
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele
0: on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. Drilling down even more into earnings here, uh, American Airlines, that stock is down a 3%, reversing some earlier gains here. So basically the issue is the costs remain really high. And it still has to fly below pre-pandemic levels because they just can't get up uh, to full capacity even though its fourth quarter profit forecasts are now above Wall Street estimates because they are still doing well. They are still selling a lot of seats, even though costs are rising, their capacity isn't where it was uh, just a few years ago. So Guy and I uh, talked with Derek Kerr, the CFO of American Airlines, and we started talking about can the continued rise in demand keep offsetting the cost profile?
8: We went into this year for, to get sustained profitability. We talked on the second quarter, we were profitable on the second quarter. And once again, we're profitable in the third and we're projecting a, a fourth quarter profit. So, and yes, you know, from a cost perspective, the chasm is high, we call it cost per ASM. It's high really due to the fact that uh, we, we haven't flown as much as we want to from an ASM perspective due to the constraints that are in this industry from pilots to uh, aircraft deliveries. You know that's going to be here for a little while, so we'll have a little higher cost. But as you can see, our profit in the in the third quarter, and now profit projections in the fourth quarter, even in an environment uh, where we're not not flying as much as we want to.
0: So that really hi, Derek. Good morning. So that really pairs with what the Guy was saying that you're going to. Um, sell more seeds to make up for the costs that are continuing to rise. And I'm wondering how much longer you can do the former. Um, you guys mentioned this sort of like work travel slash uh, vacation business, that, 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 that this is really helping you guys. How long do you think that that trend continues for?
8: Yeah, I mean demand is, hasn't been any stronger in our industry for a long period of time. You got to remember what we've been through over the last few years. You know, we've been through our own kite type of recession where, you know, we we haven't been able to grow over the last few years. So, you know, the economy has grown five percent a year since 2019. Airlines have have been unable to grow at that level. Uh, airfares have only grown at about two to three percent. So there's a lot of room there. We're only back to uh, to. 90% of 2019 levels of capacity, and we just guided 2023 capacity to be 95 to 100%. So the industry isn't even back up to capacity levels of where 2019 is, with a demand environment that just is as strong as it's been, and we don't see any yep. signs of that of that abating uh, as we look into the, uh, the holidays and into the fourth quarter.
1: Derek, where do you think the biggest growth is going to come from going forward from here,
8: domestic or international? I think it'll be international. I mean, right, right now from a domestic perspective, you know, the, the recovery has been for us on the domestic side and in the short-haul international, which is the Caribbean and, and Mexico for us. So you'll see the environment get a little bit better as we can grow on the international side. Um, and from a regional perspective for us, there's still some more growth available on the, on the uh, domestic side, but most of the growth will be on the international side.
0: So domestic really benefited you guys. Um, internationally, though, uh, you have Delta and United. Um, really take on a lot of growth there. Can you compete with that as international continues to grow, or are you going to be at a disadvantage because your domestic area is so much stronger?
8: Oh, no. We'll, we'll, our, our domestic really feeds the, feeds the international. So the stronger we have as a domestic network, the stronger our international can be. As you recall, we were having delivery issues with the 787 aircraft. Those are now coming in. We have those aircraft and able to fly those internationally. So you'll see as we go into 2023 that our international footprint will be larger than, than what we had in the past. Uh, we will get out of some of the international flying that wasn't profitable for us for a long time, period of time, but we'll shift yep. that into profitability, profitable international flying going forward.
1: Derek, are those eight sevens being fueled by the strong dollar? I, there are a lot of Americans over here in Europe right now, uh, and I'm wondering, if, is it basically that international pickup basically down to the fact that the buck goes a long way right now?
8: Well, I, I think it's a couple of things. One is just growing it back, you know, to where we were. We're not even near where 2019 level is. And people really do want to travel and they want to travel internationally. So you've seen that pick up from, from some other carriers and you're going to see that with us as we move forward into 2023.
0: Uh, I'm getting on my first international plane tomorrow morning. I haven't been on that in like four years. So this feels huge. Um, uh, Derek, in terms of the cost structure though, when do you think we're going to see the top in the non-fuel cost part of the business?
8: yeah I think what it really is is a utilization issue with the airline industry it's not not a cost structure we 're built to fly more than we can fly today due to the constraints in aircraft and due to the constraints in the pilots that we have so as we grow the airline back over time we're going to grow it back much more efficiently than than we are today and that's where you'll see the cost structure and the cost chasm pressure come down over time
1: in terms of what kind of environment you're building the airline for now, Derek? How different is it to the pre-pandemic environment? Is it a different market now, and if so, how?
8: It's a little different. I think the the way people are traveling today is different than they've traveled in the past. You know, you you referenced it earlier about the blended trips. I mean, we're seeing that. You know, business business is back 100% but business is back cuz small businesses are flying a lot more than than they have in the past so that is back and it's back full the leisure is back full uh, corporate is only back about 80% but they are driven by this blended trip. So we've seen, we saw RASM up, uh, our, our revenue uh, metric up 25% year over year, even in this environment. So I think the, the blended is offsetting some of the corporate coming back. I think the corporate is going to come back. And I think international growth coming back will be a huge benefit as we move into uh, 2023.
1: The view from American Airlines of what comes next for the airline sector in the United States. Uh, What is interesting here is that at the moment, costs are high, but fares are high. Will that continue as we potentially go into a recession? Will people still be prepared to travel? Has that view of travel changed On a more long term basis as a result of the pandemic, you only live once, get on with it, enjoy it, fly more, take more holidays. Does that stick around? And as we go into a recession, does that business travel hold up as well? I think there's going to be huge questions uh, that we need to answer because the challenge for the airlines is that they are now probably left with a fairly sticky cost base. Labor is high. Fuel prices are high. And we are going into a low-carbon world where fuel is likely to become even more expensive as we go to sustainable aviation fuel. Huge challenges for the airline sector going forward. I don't think we've got all of the answers yet. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. From Alex and from me, this was The Cable. This is Bloomberg.